Um, this is your first Sunday at Ordinary Faith. We are uh, we're going to talk a little bit about vision and what God has for us today. We're going to save all the, the businessy stuff for the luncheon, okay? So don't worry. We do one business-like meeting, business-like meeting a year, and this is the Sunday we do it, but we do it for the luncheon. We used to do it on Sunday morning, but people fell asleep. It was not fun. So... 2023, I've been telling everybody, I think it's going to be an odd year. That's all I've got. <laughs> it's going to be odd. Uh, and this message I wrote several weeks ago, and as I was studying it this week to get ready for today, it's one of those times where I'm looking, at, looking over the message going, oh, I was so naive then. I was so much younger and so much more hopeful and optimistic. No, I'm just kidding. So... Um, I, I want to talk about building something, and, and that is really what we're about. And I, I, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to get on soapboxes, although I do that, and so I would apologize, but it's so much fun, I can't. But we must realize that Christianity is not something we consume. It's not a product. We did not come here today to consume a Christianized product, to consume some worship songs that make us feel a little better, to hear a, a sermon with some bad jokes peppered throughout to make us feel better about the week. We came because we are desperate for God. Yes, it's, not about, it's not about something we use. It's about this part of us that we are longing for. And we don't know how to connect with it. That's why we gather on Sundays. Because we are desperately reaching to connect with our Father. With God as our Father. But we've been lied to. We've been told God is mad at us. That God is just dying to punish us. If we ever get out of line, He's there with that ruler stick to pop you. And that is not who Papa is. That's not how the Father works. And if, and if you want to know, like, Michael, how do you know that? You just have to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is everything God has to say. And Jesus walked this earth, and yes, he was truth, but he was also love. Yes, he was justice, but he was also mercy. He actually came to take the justice so that he could dispense the mercy. When Jesus Christ sent out his disciples... He sent them ahead of him, and they gave them authority to do miracles. We must understand the difference between authority and power. We don't have power. We have authority. God has power. He sent them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the truth, to let them know Jesus was coming. And the more I think about Jesus sending out his disciples, I used to think, I, I was I've kind of like a lot of people, I thought, well, this was exceptional. Jesus is letting everyone know that he's the Son of God, that he's awesome, and he wants everyone to see it, so he has his disciples going out. But here's what I've come to see over the last several weeks and months is that Jesus wasn't just doing it for his ministry. He was setting a template for what Christianity and discipleship would be. We are preparing the way for Jesus to return. This is our life mission is to let people know he's coming back. Amen. He's coming. The kingdom is coming. What you see is not what will be. 
This is temporary. And power comes. So when we talk about building something, know this. We're not building a Walmart with a cross on the top. We're building an outreach mission. We're building an equipping center. We're building a a place where people's lives can be delivered, set free, recreated, and restored. This isn't the place where you come and put your life back together. This is the place where you let go of your life so Jesus can give you a new one. So, we have a job to do, and that's what today is about. We've had some wonderful things happen over the last few weeks, and I'm going to let the leadership team share those, and then at the end I'll kind of talk a little bit about it after the luncheon. Today I want to talk about something that is important to what we're trying to do long-term is the overall arcing vision of ordinary faith. And I'm going to use a guy named Nehemiah, the shortest guy in the Bible. Nehemiah. That was bad. That was real bad. And I did it on purpose. I did it on purpose, okay? So you want to set someone up and say, who's the shortest guy in the Bible? And they'll go, oh, yeah, Zacchaeus. No, no. Nehemiah. Shortest guy in the Bible. The backstory on Nehemiah. The nation of Israel, uh, particularly the tribe of Judah, because the other tribes had disappeared 700 years prior, but the nation of Israel, particularly the tribe of Judah, fell into captivity to Babylon. And they spent 70 years in that captivity. The prophecies from Jeremiah and, and others was that they would be in captivity for 70 years. So after the 70 years ended, Daniel prayed, some others prayed. We have those, script, those recorded for us in the prophets. And a king, an evil king, King Cyrus, sent back all the Jews who would, were willing to go back to Israel. And so you can read their story in the book of Ezra. And about 50,000 Jews that had, that only for most of them, not all, but most of them, the only life they'd ever known, they had been born and raised in Babylon, but they had dreamed of their homeland. The Jewish faith is a very geographic faith. It's connected very much to the land of Israel. And so 50,000 Jews left everything. I mean, they quit their jobs, packed their stuff, sold their house, and joined a caravan to go back to an absolutely desolate area. They went back to rebuild their nation and, by extension, their faith. And they built, they rebuilt the temple. It was kind of like a generic temple compared to what it was before. But it, and it took them 15 years to do that. They laid the foundation. Political pressures came up. They scratched by for 15 years. And then a prophet came along and kicked them in the sea of the britches. And uh, literally, and then they built the temple. So... I want you to, I'm telling you that because this is the backstory to the backstory to the book of Nehemiah. Because I want you to know that the people in the land of Israel that Nehemiah went to work with in the story we're going to read today, they were awesome people. They didn't stink. They, they weren't a bunch of jerks. They weren't a bunch of self-centered people. They were just people who were trying to get by and survive in a very desolate and hard world. That's, that's all. 
So what happened was is that Nehemiah got a text slash DMs, like Facebook message something that said from his friend, hey man, things in Jerusalem are bad. You ever gotten news from, from a place you care about? A place that's kind of, kind of receded back into the back rooms of your mind, but you have a, affection for it, connection to it, and then you hear that news and it, it hurts. And that's what happened. Nehemiah got the message and it broke his heart and he went to God in prayer. And I'll talk a little bit about what he did when he got the news in just a second. We're going to pop into the story kind of midstream. Nehemiah's already made it. He's made the long trip from Babylon to Israel. And he has a mission that nobody knows about. He's there because he knows he's been called to do something, but no one else knows it yet. And so that's where we're going to jump into the story of Nehemiah, a guy on a walk. That's where he began. Great things can start when someone takes a walk. After dark, Nehemiah's first-hand account, I went out through the valley gate, past the Jekyll's well, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. I'm just going to say Rock Springs needs better names for stuff. <laughs> right? Jackal Well and Valley Gate and Dung Gate. And I know you're all sitting there going, oh, I know where that is. But stop. Stop. <laughs> then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the Valley Gate. The city officials did not know I'd been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. This was the beginning of a 53-day journey that would restore the walls of the, around the city of Jerusalem in less than two months. An amazing feat and the beginning of an even larger story. But I want to come at Nehemiah from the aspect of vision, the aspect of rebuilding. I want to look and learn from the things that he did. And I also want to talk about some things that we're facing, that I believe that we're facing as Christians in the West and in America. The first thing though, I want to show you, though, is, is here's a guy, Nehemiah, who God had gotten a hold of, God had broken his heart, he had been praying to God, and it had given him a vision, and so he comes to the city of Jerusalem. Everything he'd known up to this point, he'd known by letter, by secondhand information. So the first thing that Nehemiah does, and this is something I think is very instructive and important for you and I, is he goes and he takes a look at the situation. Not enough can be said about an unflinching look at reality. 
And I admire this story of a man who walks out and he takes a good, hard, honest look at the desolation of the city of Jerusalem. You have to be willing to see things. In fact, isn't it amazing how much we've trained ourselves not to see? I used to run restaurants, McDonald's restaurants. Yes, that's why I come off as a clown. I worked for one for years. <laughs> one of the things you learn in, in the business where you are deal with customers and you deal with people who are going to be looking at your facility all the time, you realize that when there is a problem, a mess, a broken fixture, a, a crooked painting on the wall, you see it the first time. You almost see it the second time, and then you never see it again. Ketchup can stay on a wall for a month and a half before somebody comes through with fresh eyes to go, oh, wow, we should clean that up. Um, now, this was from long ago. Nowadays, they don't clean restaurants, but that's a different thing. <clears throat> Just kidding. <clears throat> oh, my old restaurant guys, though, are going, amen, amen, he's right. Anyway, so... So... Nehemiah walks through this city and he takes an unflinching look at the reality and then he's willing to see what everyone else had stopped seeing. Yes, everyone knew the walls were down. Yes, everyone knew the city was in disarray and was chaos and rubble. Everyone that was there knew it. They lived with it every day. But one of the keys to being a leader in anything, at whatever level, is you have to start seeing things. And that's what Nehemiah does. He, he shows up and he sees what's happening. He looks at it. And you know, it's February, and I don't know about you, but I'm writing January off as a trial month for the year. I'm like, that one's bad. Let's start all over here. And so why not just look at your own life and just see? See. How are you doing with God? How are you doing in your faith? Uh, yeah, you could look at your health, your finances, and all those things, and all that's important. But I really think the most important part, and it might just be because it's what I do, is your faith. We'll talk about that more in just a minute when we take a look ourselves at what's going on. But take a minute and see what others can't see. And then don't just see, do something. I'm a pragmatist to the core. When I teach, preach, I, I don't do a lot of high theology unless I'm about to teach you how to use it. I'm, I'm a tool, blue-collar kind of preacher dude. And uh, we can argue about theology all day long. I won't. I'm too tired, and I'm right anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. And it won't accomplish anything. I, I like to see things that accomplish things. So... Nehemiah, one of the first things he did, if you were to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, is he prayed. He prayed. Do you guys remember when Patrick Klein was here a few weeks ago? If, if you weren't here that Sunday, you should definitely hear his message. It's on YouTube. It's on our podcast. You should hear his message. It's amazing. But he made a comment in that message that was like a slap in the face to me. And, and it wasn't intentional. It was just truth. He talked about how the Chinese Christians were praying for the church in America six hours every Saturday. And I'm like, we don't pray for the church in America six hours on any day. I'm like, and maybe that would be the secret to why the Chinese church has just rocketed 
in the face of huge persecution because they realize something. What? They need God. The Western church is always trying to reason people to Christ. We're looking for the best argument. You know, we're going to convince them. And all we're doing is making them mad. What we need to do is we need to pray for God's Holy Spirit to fall and let him deal with it. You don't have to convince anybody. When they've met God, you don't have to convince them anymore. So let him do his thing. So Nehemiah prayed. Then he planned. Sometimes we skip the pray and go straight to plan, and that's a bad idea. Sometimes we pray or we don't pray, and then we go to plan, and we don't realize that no matter what you plan, God has a better plan. And, uh, and no matter what you have for the day, God has a better agenda for the day. And so he prayed, and he planned, but then he did something that's really, this is the hard thing. He executed. He didn't just pray for Jerusalem. And he did just put together a plan to present to the king, to gather the supplies, to gather the team. Then he actually boarded the caravan, the camel, however they did it back then, and took off. He went. And he, he went in such a way that no one knew what he was doing. He didn't, he didn't talk to other people about his plans. He talked to God about his plans, and he revealed his plans when it was time for them to get involved. An interesting strategy, but I like it. Here's a guy who saw it, prayed about it, planned it, and then he executed it. So let's take a minute and let's talk about some things. Nehemiah said to the guys in Nehemiah 2.17, I know you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So why don't we stop for a second and think about the situation that we're in as the church in the Western world. I uh, spent a number of years in the church planting side of ministry. Of course, this church is a church plant. And in that journey, you, you kind of start looking at the world through an anthropology, I guess you'd say, of generations. You have the builder generation. Not a whole lot of them left at this point. They lived through the Depression and World War II. They were for, I would say they were forged in the Depression and hardened in World War II. Then their kids came out, the boomers, the big baby boom. And uh, some of you guys are in here today, you know. And you, you got to grow up and probably the most change the world is. You have seen more change in a shorter period of time than anyone else in the history of the world. Then my generation came along, Gen X. That means they crossed us out, forgot about us. That's kind of what it means. They'll never amount to anything. Then you had the millennials come along, my kids. And then their kids, Gen Z, are on the planet right now. And I hear the next generation, they're going to start back at Alpha. I'm like, oh, that is way cooler than Gen X. <laughs> so as a missionary thinker and a strategist, for the last 20, 30 years, I've been looking primarily at millennials and now Gen Z and the challenges we're facing. But now God is, excuse me, I'm a little raw today, so please be patient with me. Now God is walking me through a journey with my boomer parents. And I know through that he's also saying, hey man, 
Every generation has its own unique challenges. I have learned in the last few months that the reason they call them the golden years is because it takes so much gold to get through them. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize you had to be a millionaire to get old, but apparently you do. But anyway, I know you're all looking forward to that. But um, Each generation since the builder generation has become progressively unchurched. In fact, they've become progressively unchristian. There's actually a segment in America that, that, for a large period, that was churched but not necessarily Christian. But now that facade is peeling away, and the cultural aspects of a Judeo-Christian society or of a Christianized society are, are falling to the wayside. And those, those Christian and Judeo-Christian morals that anchored us are deteriorating. To the point that the safeties that those created, the uh, honors that those created, are dissipating quickly. I'm telling you this because just because the culture has changed does not mean our mission has changed. That's really important for us to understand. The mission's still the same. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. That's the mission. Just like he said to the disciples from the beginning, go to all the towns, love on them with the power of God, let them know I'm coming, the kingdom is coming, prepare the way. Just like John prepared the way, you prepare the way. He prepared it with repentance, you prepare it in love and power. That mission is still the same. And our job The church we are building, the church that Jesus is building, is a church that looks at every generation. It doesn't matter what the unique challenges of each generation are. Jesus still loves each generation. And one generation speaks this language. It's funny, every generation has their language, if you will. And one of the things that's really driving me crazy in my middle, older, upper, middle age, whatever you call this... One of the things that's driving me crazy is my whole life I have seen the younger generation ignore the older generation and the older generation dismiss the younger generations. I have watched this my entire life. And it's stupid. And I'm like, I know if you're younger, you're probably going, well, you're older now and you just want me to listen to you. (laughs) No, I don't. Uh, The older I get, the more questions I have and the less answers I have. When I was 25, I had all the answers, and you should have talked to me then, because I knew stuff then. Now I'm like, we better just pray. <laughs> I got this problem. We should pray, <laughs> because I got nothing. We're here to bring and prepare the way for Jesus to come and meet Gen Z, who's the most distracted generation so far. Their mental illness, our mental health is through, it's already at crazy levels with depression, anxiety, psychotic breaks, everything, because they've never had any stability, never had anything that resembles stability. Millennials who are now, their children are getting older and they're beginning to walk in the new stages of their life and, and they are looking at a world that looks like it's on a decline rather than an incline. And they're like, how am I going to prepare for old age? And how am I going to prepare my children for life? And what kind of world are they going to get? My generation, Gen X, 
We are getting closer up on up in our years. Now we're running the companies and we're in politics and all these kinds of things. And uh, we don't know what we're doing. Just like in high school. And then my parents' generation. Walking into those retirement years. It's a challenge. It's scary. It's frightening. And I don't have political answers. Well, I got one political answer. Jesus is coming again. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my only political answer I got. Amen. I don't have an economic answer. I don't have a health answer. I don't even have a, a mental health answer. I only, the only answer we've got is Jesus. He's the cure. He's the deliverance. He's the healing. He's the abundance. He's the strength. He's the supply. He's everything. But I'm over 50. And here I'm talking to my kids and my grandkids. And I'm like, Jesus is the answer. But look what's happening, guys. I've got to learn their language. And I don't know it. I have tried to be cool, and it did not go well. <laughs> There's another problem, too. This is a spiritual one, and this may not make sense if you haven't been here a while, but it's, it's okay. Just bear with me. I believe there's a spirit of desolation that's been released. I believe that what has happened in the last three years, I believe up until 2020, we were nuts. We were working our rear ends off, and we were going as hard as we could go, and we were exhausted, and we were stressed, and we did not know what to do with ourselves, and we were running like crazy, and then spring of 2020 hit, and bam, the hammer dropped, and our life stopped. And we didn't know what to do. And the stress and the anxiety. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care about the politics of it. All I know is there was a season there where you couldn't go to Walmart. Well, you could go. That's about the only place you could go. <clears throat> if you were wearing duct tape and plastic. <laughs> you couldn't go to Walmart without a, a fear that possibly I could catch something that I won't even know I have for two weeks and die. And killed my whole family. That was the, the threat that you lived under. <coughs> By the way, that is a traumatic situation. Do you understand that? that? In fact, the whole situation for over almost two years was straight up abusive. Yes. So 2020 and 2021, that's what we were doing. Trying to survive, trying to not die, feeling attacked from every side, from where we worked, to the governments that we were under, inside of our own families. We went through two years of abuse, and then last year, last year we got a little bit of freedom back. And there's this longing in us. And it's a longing for God. It's a longing for God. That's what it is. But we just, we came out of 2021 and into 2022, and we were just like, I just want things to be good again. I just... 
I just need things to go back to normal. So we'd go back and set our dryers to normal, just so we could have a little bit of normal. (laughs) And last year, parks were booked, flights were booked, Southwest was canceling them all, but still they were booked. (laughs) And people just long for things to be good again. And I'm gonna tell you what I have witnessed as a pastor People's longing for things to be good again, not knowing that they're actually longing for God. And they've prayed to God. God, make things good again. But he doesn't do things like we tell him to. He's a wild God. He does what he knows is right. And what is happening, a spirit of desolation is pouring over the land. I, I honestly believe we are witnessing the beginning of the great falling away that was prophesied by Jesus and by Paul. Because people nowadays, they aren't just struggling with their life. When their life gets hard, they actually just abandon God. And when your faith was intended to keep you strong through the hard times, and the first thing you abandon in the hard times is your God, that's like a, a, a thirsting man crawling across, trying to walk across the desert, and he cuts his legs off. Walk, a walk away from God is to walk away from the very thing that empowers you for victory. That is what we're seeing. Michael, why are you telling me this? Well, I would call that an unflinching look at where we stand right now. Now, you're probably sitting there going, well, that's depressing. (laughs) No, it's not. I told you the answer already. One of these Sundays, I'm going to give a pop quiz. (laughs) It's going to have five or six questions, and it's only going to have one answer. You'll know, right? You know the answer. What's the answer? Oh, man, look at there. You guys are learning. It's good. You passed today. Everyone gets an A on a pop quiz. I just want you to know that the the reason that we're here, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to steal it. I had to. It had to be done. Had to be done. We're here to stand up in the midst of all that. Not my job to go fix Congress. I know how to fix them, but it's not legal. <laughs> it's not even my job to fix Wyoming or any of those things. My job is to follow Jesus to whatever, wherever and whoever and whatever he's going to next. That's my job. And, you know, one of the things I've been reminded of very well lately, uh, do you ever struggle with what God wants you to do? You're like, I don't know what God wants. I'm struggling. I have these three or four options and so forth. Let me, let me help you out. This is, this is, this is going to give you relief, but you're still not going to like it. And it's like this. Here's how it goes. You think you have all these options, but here's how God works. You, you start out the problem. You've got five options. By the time you walk through the problem, you only have one left. God's will is done. You're stressed about nothing because God will walk you right past all the doors that are closed to the one that's open. And so I want us to realize that that we have a mission and a challenge. We have something to do. And, and that is to bring Jesus to this world. It is to build and make disciples. It is to be disciples. 
And, and I say that because what I'm, the only way that I'm going to learn Jesus and walk in the answer that is Jesus is to learn his ways, learn his heart, learn his commands, and by faith step into those. That's what we're here to do. To help people meet Jesus, learn Jesus, follow Jesus, obey Jesus. By the way, a Christianity that doesn't have obedience in it is not Christianity. It's something else. And so I believe that God's raising up a Joshua generation. What do I mean by that? That's kind of a churchy term. But God, it's based on the story of the nation of Israel and how that they were in captivity for 400 years, much longer than we've been a nation. They were as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God delivered them by the hand of Moses and his own power. And they walked out of Egypt, a free nation, legally and politically they were free. But then they walked through the desert but, and we discovered that they still had a bondage of their hearts. But there was a Joshua generation within them. They were the kids who were kids in Egypt, or they were born in the wilderness. And God put them through the fires of the wilderness, the trials of the wilderness, to prepare a Joshua generation. And that generation is the one that walked into the promised land and took it and owned it. And I know that God is raising up a Joshua generation. Can I tell you something a little weird? I'm going to do it. A few, few years ago, Dave and Beth Limmer, Dave was supposed to be here last Sunday, but Wyoming said no. <laughs> Dave and Beth Limmer came to our house one evening, and we prayed on my back deck when we lived over on Lee Street. And, uh, and Dave and Beth just were praying with us and asking us to listen to the Holy Spirit and what, were we, what was the Holy Spirit saying. And so we're praying, and while we're praying, I had a vision. I'm not, you know, your young men will dream dreams, or your old men will see visions, or I can't remember. I probably got that inverted. So I, I had, I, God gave me this thing. And I saw myself, actually a much thinner version of myself, so I have that hope as well. <laughs> when God gives you something, just know that you are going to grow into it. It's, not, it's often not for the moment, it's for the future. And so... And, here, and here's, my, here's what I saw in my mind. God gave it to me. I was, I was standing there, a little slimmer than I am now, and uh, all these people were walking past me. They were walking up to me and past me, and they were just going, and it, was, it began to accelerate. And while they walked past, I would, I would grab a weapon, a tool, and I would hand it to them, and hand it to them. And, this, and I was standing there, and all of a sudden, they, they were moving so fast, it was a blur. And I was moving, that's what I was doing. I was handing everybody a tool, or a weapon, or something powerful. And they were headed straight out to use that tool. Hallelujah. You see, we're here to equip a Joshua generation. This isn't about a, it isn't about a bunch of numbers showing up on a Sunday morning, and it isn't certainly not about a product that we produce it's about equipping a generation that's a generation not X, Y, Z. It's a generation of faith. It's a generation 
that is crazy enough to believe like those older teenagers, younger men that Jesus called on in his story. And he said, all right, guys, here's what's happening. You're going to go out to all the towns of Israel and, and you have the power to heal people and cast out devils. So rock it. And what I believe God is doing is he's raising up a Joshua generation that's going to look at Jesus, the story of Jesus, and they're, they're going to get excited about this Bible thingy. Because I, I, I think all of our conferences and books can be helpful, but if you don't start in the Word of God, all those things are just products. And I think they're going to take the words of Jesus and they're going to look at them and they're going to go, man, Jesus said it. I believe it. And they're going to do something with it. That's our mission. That's what we're to do, to hand Jesus to people. The word of God. And the word of God isn't just the Bible. You see, people can twist the Bible. They will twist the Bible. But you let the Holy Spirit speak this thing. And it will turn people's lives around. I'm t- you can't stop a man or a woman or a child who's heard from God. And that's the Joshua generation. That's what we want to give them. We want them to hear from God. We do not want to set up another pedestal with another idol on it that's going to get knocked off in a few years and destroy their faith. We want to give them Jesus directly. No middleman. Does that make sense? That's what we're here to do. When we talk about building ordinary faith, we are going to talk about some things in the luncheon, about the the land and things like that, some opportunities God's presented. But know this, building ordinary faith, the building itself is a tool to build ordinary faith. It's not and never will be the church ordinary faith. Do you understand that? That's the vision we need to understand. We are here to do something. We are here to give a generation that's a generation not of age, but a generation of faith, the tools and the weapons they need to take the promised land, the tools and weapons they need to bring Jesus to a world that's hungry, that's hurting, that's angry, that's scared, that's destroyed, that's abused, that's traumatized, to bring healing and deliverance to that generation. That's what we're here to do. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? Because our vision has to be so much bigger than it is. We are kingdom. We are part of a kingdom, a plan that God is working out in the world. And we're, we get to be, get to be a part of that. And so I encourage you, and that's what I call us to do, is to, to build ordinary faith and not... Yes, there are tools we need, but what I want you to see is that all of us have the grace and the power to help build someone else. That's my dream. I want to hear the second-hand stories about ordinary faith. The second, third, fourth-hand stories about people that are touched by the ministry and who touch other people. I want to hear things like, I never felt judged. I never felt condemned. I felt like they wanted something for me, not from me. Those are the kind of things I want to hear. I want to hear people ranting and raving about Jesus. 
I heard from God today. I took a step of faith today. When Patrick Klein was here and he was talking about smuggling Bibles into Cuba and Vietnam, did any of you, like even for just a second, go, I think I want to do it? <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't think that. I was, I'm a chicken. I'm like, burk, burk, burk. <laughs> but my wife, she's like, sign her up. And I'm like, no, someone's got to take care of me. It can't be you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, by the way, he like all but, he's all, he all but signed me up for a trip to Pakistan already. We're having dinner with John and Tammy. And he's like, well, Michael's got to go to Pakistan. He's got to go. He's got to go. And I'm like, I ain't going. <laughs> <clears throat> but I was scared of him, so I didn't say it to him. You were coming to Christ who's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you... You, me, we, are living stones that God is building. God's a builder. Into his spiritual temple, what's more, you're his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. That's what we're here to do, is to, to follow Jesus. To kick Christianity, consumerism to the curb. I'm not saying you can't buy a Christian book or a Christian movie. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying make sure your faith is, round, is rooted in the Word of God, the story of Jesus Christ, and, and absolute radical dependence upon His Holy Spirit. Yes. Do that yes. first. You don't need any products to do that. A Bible is very helpful. Do you, do you, have you noticed how when Patrick Klein was here, he was talking about how the, the Christians in persecuted countries loved, 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 loved God's word. Why? Because he speaks. He speaks. Papa talks to us. And he says powerful, amazing, strong things. In fact, I know you're like, I'm trying to follow your outline today and you're not doing a good job staying with it. And it's true. I'm not, I'm not even going to actually try. And, but I want to read you a scripture that, that God has helped me with. In the last few weeks, I've been walking a very difficult path. And, you know, it's, and it wasn't like I started all rested up and, and ready for it, you know. Ezekiel 47. In my vision, the man brought me... I'm sorry, I don't have slides for this, so just listen. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. And the man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway, and he led me around to the eastern entrance, and there I could see the water flowing out to the south side of the east gateway. And measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me uh, across, and the water was up to my ankles. And then he... He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time it was up to my knees. And then another 1,750 feet led me across again. This time the water was up to my waist. And then he did it again, and the water was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. And he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? 
Now, you, are you seeing this in your mind's eye? He's, he's at the temple of God, and there's a stream flowing out of the temple, and that stream is becoming a river. And as it just comes out of the temple, it's just ankle deep, and then it's knee deep, and then it's waist deep, and then it's over your head because the river is picking up pace. It's getting more violent. It's getting more powerful as it streams from the throne room of God. Then he led me back along the riverbank, and when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever this water of this river flows. And I'll stop there. And Jesus said in John 8, he says, if a man believes in me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And here's what I've learned. I don't have enough. I don't. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough smarts. I don't have enough sense. I don't have enough. But my father has a river that's flowing through from the throne room of God. I live in a world that is a wasteland, but my father's promise to make streams in that wasteland. I live in a world that's a desert, and my father's promise to bring springs out of that desert. And my Lord and Savior said, if I believe in him, I will connect to a river of living water. No, I am not strong enough for this world. I, I cannot tell you I can endure or whatever. I can't, but I can swim in the river. I can go to the stream and I can drink what God has for me. And what my problem has been so often in my life is instead of choosing rivers of living water, I go back and I mess with these darn cisterns that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 2. These things that I've tried to store up for later and they got moldy and rank in the waiting. Do you want to survive this world and keep your faith? Do you want to hand that faith to another generation? We have to learn to drink from the river of living water, right. which is God himself. Right. It's not signs along the way. It's not bunches of people telling you, well, there's a water over there. There's a river over there. Don't just trust the guy who says there's a river of living water. Go to the river! Right. Does that make sense? So, Michael, what does that have to do with our future? Everything. Everything. We're not here to accomplish my vision. I'm just a servant. I just follow Jesus and use my gifts. That's it. And that's what you do, too. You follow Jesus and you use your gifts. And then you help someone else follow Jesus and you help them use their gifts. And that's how this thing works. And we keep going. And what happens is things get messy after that. I don't know if you've read the story of Jesus, but it was kind of messy. Yeah. He did not have like this really neat, cool itinerary with outline plans of how he was going to evangelize the world. In fact, the, the prophet Daniel put it this way. The anointed one would be killed in Jerusalem and it would look like he had failed. That's how Daniel said it. And that's what it looked like when Jesus was crucified. But we all know he didn't fail. Because I'm looking at a life right here and a life right there and a life over here and a life over there that Jesus changed. Woo! God is so good. I'm sorry. I get excited. Okay, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. 
Every miracle in this room is worth celebrating, right? And so that's, that's our vision. We're just going to build people. We're going to strengthen people. We're going to help people. We're going to love people. We're going to encourage people. We're going to set people free, and we're going to do that in the strength of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the plans of men. We're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And if things get worse, they get worse. And we won't care because we'll be drinking from the river of living water, not the broken cistern of politics or religion or what have you. That's what we'll be doing. That's our vision. Follow Jesus wherever he goes. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, it sure is nice. I love the way that you have put us, the position you've put us in as ordinary faith. To be able to follow you, to be able to make choices that honor you. And I pray that today, that you would take these words that were messy. I'm not going to say they weren't. But take these words that were messy, but they're so loaded with life. And you would give life to this body. And that people would know that the life they're feeling is not coming from me and a, a, a planned concession of words, but it's coming from the Holy Spirit of God. And they may have walked some really rough things. And what brought them here today, I, I have no idea. The pain, the, the joy, whatever it was that brought them. But I know that now they sense something more. And I pray you'd help them connect with that. I pray that you would help us to pray for them. And I ask, Lord, that you would walk us through this remainder of the service, and then when we break, and then we will um, have a luncheon after that and talk about the financial and physical aspects of last year. I, I pray, God, that you would walk us through all of that with you, and that everything, Jesus, should be the center of it. And I thank you. I thank you for the support in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. But I'm headed over here. i got some people that can pray. And I'm going to tell you, we love to pray for people. So on my right, your left, over here behind the prayer sign, we'll pray. Pastor Steve?